Critical access hospitals are federally supported to bolster their financial viability and preserve the health care services available to rural Americans in their own communities. But not every rural area has a local hospital. Some have lost their hospitals due to closure, and some may never have had one in the first place. So how do we measure the value of rural hospitals and health care providers? With in-depth research, key metrics, and comparable analysis. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 33 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So today we're going to talk about critical access hospitals and how they impact the health and the communities uh, in which they serve. And so we've discussed critical access hospitals uh, before in depth. We've had uh, critical access hospital CEOs mm-hmm. uh, and CFOs uh, on our program b- before talking about the intricacies of running a rural hospital. Uh, but now we're going to look at a recent study uh, about rural health outcomes of communities with critical access hospitals, uh, particularly in comparison to rural communities without them. That's right. And to do that, we are talking with our very first return guest here on Rural Health Rising. Uh, He was here way back in Episode 7 discussing the impact of COVID-19 on critical access hospitals. He is a quadruple board certified pediatric intensivist by training and holds a doctorate in public health. He is the mastermind behind the Healthy Nevada Project, the first public health study of its kind, is recognized as a national thought leader, and has been named one of modern healthcare's 50 most influential clinical executives. And Rachel, I'm excited today because I shared with you uh, the Dr. Tony was one of my best interviews yes. uh, that I remember from all the episodes that we've done now almost a year mm-hmm. uh, into this uh, because of what he presented, which was real to us in the terms of what we're trying to accomplish on this uh, podcast. So our guest today uh, is Dr. Tony Slonum, president and CEO of Renown Health in Reno, Nevada. Welcome back to Rural Health Rising. JJ, Rachel, thank you guys again for having me. I, I so look forward to being together again kind of tipped my hat to some work we had going on, and I'm happy to share it. Thanks for having me. We are so excited that you're back and to dig into this most recent study that you've done. But before we get there, Dr. Tony, for those who have not heard Episode 7, here's your note to go back and listen to Episode 7 if you haven't yet. <laughs> Promise it's worth your time. Um, but for those folks who are meeting you for the first time, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and Renown Health? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Tony Sloan. And uh, I've had a variety of wonderful experiences in my career. I started in the pre-hospital arena. I've been a nurse in the emergency department. I was fortunate enough to be able to go to medical school. And uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, I have four boards, adult medicine, pediatrics, adult and pediatric critical care, and really have uh, been excited to be on a journey learning about uh, as a student of public health now for nearly 20 years. Um, I I have significant education in public health in addition to my medical degree, and that allows me to focus uh, some of my research efforts and the work we do here at Renown Health, not only on health care, what we do for people when they're sick and injured, but how do we keep them healthy? How do we drive wellness, mind, body, and spirit, so that maybe they'll never need a hospital? And that's where uh, I actually enjoy working the most. 
Well, you're a remarkable visionary, and I've had the chance to follow you now since we interviewed you the first time. And so so now that we've established who you are and what you do, let's start with the why. Uh, We do this on every episode so we can get to know our guests just a little bit better. So, Dr. Tony, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Well, there's so so many things. It's a great day to be alive uh, every day. And That's so right. it's better than the alternative for sure. Yes, and, <laughs> absolutely. And I say that half jokingly and half for real. I'm a cancer survivor. I was diagnosed with cancer at 38. And so every day is a blessing. Mm. And using that opportunity to uh, to teach and to learn is, uh, is just an amazing gift. I, I often say, and, and particularly as it focuses on this work uh, that we're going to discuss, I believe that there is an opportunity to advocate for people who need a platform, who need someone else to help advocate. And so here I find myself as a, a guy who's uh, running a rural, uh, a pretty uh, urban health system, advocating for my partners in the rural environment because it, pro- it provides a platform that's different than what they can provide for themselves. I did the same thing in nursing. Uh, I, I always say I'm a better advocate for the discipline of nursing as a doctor than I ever was as a nurse. And that's because I have a different audience uh, that listens to me differently. So, and I think that's one of the things that I I really appreciate about you is that you have um, these various perspectives because of the trajectory that your career has taken, um, and also the fact that your your desire to advocate for rural health, even as you're running a more urban health system, is really important. And I think it's um, really the best case scenario. We we sometimes um, don't have the best things to say about what can happen in systems with healthcare because there can be some some negative things that occur. Um, but what we love about you guys is that you are kind of setting the example for how to do that in a way that doesn't jeopardize the health of the rural communities, which is really what your study is about. So this is your second study on critical access hospitals in less than a year, right? Correct. And I think my this is my third or fourth overall on trip. Okay. okay. So what got you so interested? You kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but what got you so interested in studying rural hospitals, but also critical access in particular? So years ago, um, several years ago, probably 15 years ago now, um, I was working in the health system as a vice president for medical affairs, which included uh, the system had eight hospitals, four of which were rural in the rural setting. Three qualify as critical access hospitals by definition. One was rural and not meeting the definition with 30 beds, but still rural in its, in its designation. And mm-hmm. I really was fascinated. I, I was responsible for shepherding through a new quality program. This is around 2007 or so for the health system. That was my responsibility. And what I really learned quickly was the things that we were talking about for the medical center were just unable to be performed in the critical access hospital. There's resource scarcity. There's a different way of looking at people. And so here I learned really quickly at at that conference table that my, my predisposition, everything I had been brought up on in quality was framed within the context of an urban tertiary center. And I had a lot to learn about 
how we were going to be delivering care in the rural environment and particular critical access in rural hospitals because that was what I was charged to do. And it was a steep learning curve for me. I engaged with the information because I really thought it was an opportunity and, and fascinated by the point that one size doesn't fit all. And in fact, in the rural environment, one size fits one size. And that's an important part of the way that I really got indoctrinated into the world of rural healthcare. And here, 15 years later, I've started to put some science and some data behind what it, what it is that means to be rural. Because in fact, when you review the literature, there are very, very few organized studies using data that demonstrate the ability of rural hospitals to be performing for the communities that they serve. That's what that's what led to it. So you, you're an exceptional clinician, and then you're a CEO of a very large system trying to integrate some of the principles and precepts of understanding small rural communities. And you've put together a remarkable study again. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that today. So, you know, you and your research team uh, made some direct comparisons of counties based on the fact that they are rural and based on the presence of a hospital in those respective counties. So how did you determine what factors to compare in order to get a, a really good picture of the broader health outcomes of the communities that you looked at? Yeah, so I'll go here with you first. I think that this was an incredible opportunity. People say all the, you know, people would say to me as perhaps a criticism, why are you focused on critical access hospitals, Tony, when there are so many more delivery sites in the rural environment that are available for study? There are not only critical access hospitals, but rural referral centers and sole community hospitals and Medicare dependent facilities and dish and disproportionate share, and all of those elements are true. They all serve the rural hospital differently. But the one thing that makes a critical access hospital easier to study is the definitions that drive its existence. And so it, I, I would love to embrace a broader approach to understanding care in the rural environment, but the research is encumbered by the fact that the definitions are less Clear. In addition, there's a, another important thing, which you guys live this every day. I'm telling you things that you know, but it's fascinating for me that even the definition for what it means to be rural is in question. Mm -hmm. You have the Census Bureau definition, you got the Office of Management and Budget definition, yes. you've got competing mm -hmm. definitions that, depending on how you define, changes how many people might be at risk. And so those are important caveats as we start to talk about the, the why for the study. We focus on critical access because it was easy and objectively defined, and we'd like to do more, but we're limited and hamstrung in some ways because the definitions are less crisp from a uh, research perspective. But what we know, given the definitions we've got, is that about 60 million people where 18% of, of America's population live in a rural environment. And that's a big number. Both of those numbers are big numbers. And mm -hmm. so we thought, wow, what would it look like to at least try to understand the lens into their health and their well-being? Not necessarily their health care, 
typical hospital-based measures like how you do with pneumonia or heart disease, but community-based measures, because we know better than anybody that a critical access hospital is emblematic of this community. And so we looked at community health rankings as a part of driving the conversation. And the first step was to compare urban counties to, to rural counties. And so the study, and we're happy to provide this for listeners, exploring the relationship between clinical access hospitals and rural county health is one that is an analysis at the county level. It's not looking directly at critical access hospitals, but looking at the halo effect that critical access hospitals provide in counties that they are cited in. That's a really important grounding point for us as we go about discussing the study. And I have to admit, you know, that this is why we do research. I was surprised by the findings. I never expected there to be such, um, such robust and clear differences in those hospitals that serve, in those counties served by a hospital versus those counties that don't have a hospital. A very impressive results here. And for me, the justification for why critical access hospitals exist. Never been studied. No thorough national study since 1997 in the Balanced Budget Act when critical access hospitals were started. Our results demonstrate the value uh, to county health of having a critical access hospital cited within it. So looking at your study, like you said, you kind of start with the urban versus rural comparison. You kind of have the funnel narrows as you go along. So you start with the non-rural versus rural counties. Then you look at rural counties with hospitals and without. And then finally, you narrow it down to the rural counties with critical access hospitals and those without. So if we start at the top, just, you know, for our our interest as well, the rural versus non-rural, what did you learn about the health of rural Americans in general as compared to non-rural Americans? Yeah, but so this is uh, some of the first uh, analyses we did, mostly because of my bias. I understand, right, we all understand that there are things that you can provide service-wise in an 800-bed medical center with a trauma designation and a children's hospital that you simply can't at a 25-bed hospital. And so right. mm-hmm. as a guy who uh, you know spent my career in intensive care units, and study providers in rural hospitals and the, the volume of experiences they get. Um, that was another paper we did on critical access hospitals. What I realized was where I'm, you know, whereas an ICU doc in an urban setting, I may be seeing five, six, eight cardiac arrests in a week. That may be once every six months in a, in a rural hospital. And so there are these experiential gaps. And What we found in our data were those urban counties did have better health outcomes than rural counties. So that was point one, Rachel, to the way we started to use the funnel as you described it, which is a great metaphor for what we did. We next moved to those hospitals that were uh, rural and those those counties that were rural versus uh, with hospitals versus those counties that did not have a hospital. And having a hospital matters. It matters not only across health outcomes, things like quality of life and tobacco use and diet and exercise, 
But we all know the behavioral health and addiction challenges striking our nation, not only in rural America, but throughout the nation. And those are accentuated in the rural environment. But for rural counties with a critical access hospital, they actually perform better. And so we think that the presence of a hospital certainly has an impact at the level of the county that you can measure in health and well-being. Dramatic. We've not ever demonstrated that before in the literature. And I think that that's, a, that's not only a proud moment for our research team, but an opportunity for understanding how health becomes operative at the county level. And even beyond that, where you start talking about the things that we know determine health, like the social elements of our work, family and social support, education, employment, income, air and water quality, all of those things were differentially affected for those counties that had a hospital in them, a critical access hospital in them. And, and Dr. Tony, we have witnessed firsthand the research that you've conducted. We've witnessed firsthand uh, some of these outcomes, the, the poor health outcomes from uh, individual communities in our area where hospitals have closed. We've witnessed it. Uh, psychiatric units that have shut down around us, just not too far from me, a county over shut down their uh, behavioral health unit and a 20-bed psychiatric unit was closed. And those patients uh, ended up either in the emergency department. Sadly, some of them ended up homeless. Some of them ended up in the county jail, certainly not a place. None of those places are a place where a patient needs to be uh, through those type of crisis. And so we see that the impact to the community is significant when you have hospital closures. So we have talked about this uh, with Mark Holmes from the North Carolina Rural Health Research Center. And uh, something we often say here in rural health is when hospitals close, specifically those rural hospitals, people die. And we have, we have firsthand information of hospitals around us that have closed and the outcomes for those patients we have witnessed were, were far worse. And so we know that this can be anecdotally, but according to Mark, there's not a lot of conclusive research out there on this very specific issue. But what you studied included premature death, which would certainly get us closer to understanding how much of a real risk uh, this is in rural counties without hospitals. So I know that was a lot, but my question to you is, so what did your study show regarding this? And does it provide any support to what we would say is our anecdotal uh, conclusions? Yes, and, and JV, that's so um, great because here's the issue. When you look across the literature, and the evidence base for rural hospitals. What you find in, a, in summary fashion is a lot of well-meaning people trying to do good science, but encumbered by the fact that the audience, the data they have is isolated of one or two hospitals that because they serve a very small population have very small numbers. That's and true. in research, you need the opportunity to drive more macro, bigger mm -hmm. picture numbers with data and statistics to tell whether or not the change that you're seeing or the difference that you're seeing is a real difference or an artificial difference. That's where statistics come in. And so when I'm in, you have to remember, I think the, the fun for me is, you know, my day job is I'm a hospital healthcare executive. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm seeing the real problems that are going on. And my research allows me to tell the story about those problems in a context that is broader than the individual hospital. And that's what the paper does. The paper allows us to have a national perspective that helps to inform the policy discussions in Washington about whether or not we should redeploy funding for critical access hospitals like they're talking about, or whether we should invest in broadband, or whether we should, whatever the intervention might be, to assure that critical access hospitals remain viable. And that's, you know, we've been talking for a long time in our, you know, the American Hospital Association and other professional organizations about the strife felt by rural hospitals. But until people put the numbers behind it and demonstrate the real lives impacted by shortfalls in funding, we will never get where we need to be. So the audience that we wrote for was not only executives in critical access hospitals, but communities, elected officials, legislators, and CMS in Washington, D.C., many of the people who are thinking about how they might change up funding that could really impact people's lives based on mm-hmm. the data we evaluated. So what I really was excited to see when I started reading through your study was that exact conclusion because it really validates the the whole premise of this podcast, first of all, the, the importance of rural health and how different it is in rural communities that do and don't have health care and how that directly affects people's lives. Um, and like you said, it's not just their specific health outcomes that we think of as physical health outcomes, but also quality of life and all these other factors. Um, and then, of course, we want to hear about the final comparison, which was the most detailed between the counties with critical access hospitals and those without. Now, for for clarity, um, are these critical access hospital counties and then counties that may or may not have a hospital that's critical access? Correct. Okay. Correct. Or, sorry, may or may not have a hospital. Have a hospital. But they if have they a, have a hospital, it's they not have a critical hospital, access. It's not a critical access hospital. Okay. Perfect. Got it. And, and right. we found the similar we found similar differences there across. And and for folks that want to read the study, there are the community health rankings is a large national database, and it provides eight kind of summary measures that we've framed each of these analyses in kind of uh, table A, if you will, part A, and then very specific measures, 25, 28 measures, that are elements or sub-measures within each of those broad categories. And so some of the summary composite measures are health outcomes, quality of life, health behaviors, social and economic environment. And then, for example, within health behaviors, there are four different categories, subcategories called tobacco use, diet and exercise, alcohol and drug use, and sexual activity. And so those kinds of measures at the county level are reported regularly by all counties in the United States and become composites in this database. Rachel, to your question, one of the most interesting things for us. Again, overall, counties with a critical access hospital did better than those without a critical access hospital. And except in two very specific areas. One was, and I think this is an opportunity. If you don't have the data, you can't improve. And so those two opportunities were that 
rural counties without a clinical access hospital perform better in primary care and mental health services. And it may be, in fact, that those there are other rural resources available besides the hospital to deliver on that primary care. And the integration between mental health and primary care is right there. You may, you know, you may use your primary care provider as much for someone to talk to as you do for treatment for your blood pressure problem. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think those two things are integrated. Further study prevails, but they do represent an opportunity for critical access hospitals to step it up, if you will, uh, as, as they go forward. So now we get to the ultimate question, which is now looming. And we we talked about we, we I think we asked something along these lines in the last one. Um, we talked about your previous study, and that's when you were able to tease this one that you were going to be getting closer to an answer here, get a little more information. So, again, multi-billion dollar rural health care question based on the research that you have done. What is the solution that will enable rural hospitals to survive post pandemic and for the next 50 to 100 years? Yeah, I, uh, so, well, that's clearly an easy question. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Um, here's the way I would frame it, and it comes, the, the answer comes through the three studies I've been able to do in my career that kind of take a trajectory. The first one was in 2000, I guess about 2010, 2011, where we studied how providers in the emergency departments at critical access hospitals actually care for patients and how much their care deviated from the standard. We actually did simulated models on six case scenarios, cardiac arrest, a traumatized child, uh, an emergency delivery. There were a couple of other things that we did, but we really compared in a simulated environment with a, a mannequin how that emergency department team in the critical access hospital delivered care in contrast to the steps that were articulated by the American Hospital Association, American Trauma Life Support, et cetera. And we found significant differences, mostly because the volume wasn't there. They didn't get practiced at caring for really sick people often enough. And another important part, the there was much more, uh, this is not a bad thing, much more of a team-based care model in the critical access mm-hmm. hospital ER. Mm-hmm. Meaning the doctor was more likely to take advice from the nurse who says, hey, by the way, I think we need another IV, or I think we need to do this. There was much more acceptance of those recommendations when offered, which gets to that team-based approach. So on the ground, really understanding how providers in critical access hospitals work. You then contrast that with the four major challenges that we identified in our literature review, which are problems that exist in critical access hospitals. And this was a conversation for our second paper where the challenges were only accentuated by COVID. But the four challenges are payment, quality, access to capital, and workforce. And those four challenges were only made worse after the pandemic. And now you've got the real, you know, this latest example of our research says, hey, wait a minute. These people, these critical access hospitals are in jeopardy and they get value. 
in ways that go beyond the direct care that they provide to improve the overall health and well-being of the counties in which they serve. And so the answer, I'm finally getting to it, Rachel, to your question about what's next is a model that says, hey, in a couple of states, what if we analyze using simulation the ability of rural hospitals to work together? So we know that from our first study that volume matters. In order to be an expert, you need to see a fair amount of patients to be good at it. We know that you're in jeopardy with a critical workforce. And three, we know the hospitals are closing and we're gonna miss out on that value if we don't redesign it. So what if we redesigned it in this quadrant-like approach and we're doing the data analysis now, I'd be happy to be the first third timer on your program when the results are published. But what, we, what we've got is we've separated, we've taken four different critical access hospitals and organized them in a, a pod. And that pod differentiates itself by one critical access hospital doing heart care, one critical access hospital doing cancer care, one critical access hospital doing pediatric care, and one critical access hospital doing neurological care. Therefore, you are never more than 90 minutes away from definitive high-end care, but you also organize the system of care in that pod differently by making sure that you've got the pharmaceuticals and supply chain needs met, the expertise in terms of uh, the quality of providers, nursing, doctors, pharmacists, technicians, and you co-locate the expertise in a way that you're never more than 90 minutes from definitive care for those higher end services without having to go to a rural setting. So what I think this modeling does is, and we don't know the answer yet, I'm, I'm really clear on that, but we, we hope to get some good results one way or another. If it's successful, and we think that the model could be piloted, what that will allow people to do is to drive the viability of those critical access hospitals over the long term and create a sustainable model that serves those members of the community for the four top, five top diagnostic groups that we have in a way that prevents their, you know, that preserves them from relying on more urban settings. So there was a lot there, but effectively we think that there's a solution that can be crafted that will drive policy conversations in a different way for critical access hospitals. For our listeners who want to read all of this incredible research, we are going to link in the show notes to all three of those studies. So if you want to go check those out, you can check that link out in the show notes. In a final comment to really reaffirm that which you've spoken about today, one of the things you talked about was the team approach. And you talked about, you know, social determinants of health. And we're really engaged in that on a daily basis in rural health because we have to have the team approach. You know, we have to ensure that, you know, our providers are working hand in hand with our nurses. And uh, oftentimes we, we joke that, you know, a nurse can make or break a physician in a small rural hospital. And you always want to keep the nurses very close to you in a, a small rural hospital. But I want to just relate to our listener uh, a point that you raised, which we have watched come to fruition here, is we reached out to Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Michigan. And I wrote a grant, and that grant covered us to uh, participate and really launch a program for uh, diabetic individuals in our community. And what we were witnessing, Dr. Tony, was individuals that came into our emergency department 
department who had access issues. They could not get into primary care. They had transportation issues. And what we know is when when a diabetic individual does not get their insulin, outcomes are are not very good. And up to and including amputations and, and the list goes on. And so we have watched, I just want to tell a very quick story. We watched, uh, we, we created this program. We identified uh, really a care coordinator who would work in this as a nurse. Uh, and we watched as patients came into the emergency department uh, who could not afford their medications, who were not eating properly. And what we created was remarkable. We actually engaged with local food pantries instead of handing out Pop-Tarts and sugar cereals. We talked about, you know, how about vegetables? How about let's go up to the food pantries where we're purchasing these items and let's encourage individuals to purchase items that are healthy for our population. Because when you go into food pantries, a lot of, you know, starchy foods, a lot of, you know, sugar foods. And so we began to educate the community. So what we did is we kind of changed... When we look at that social determinants of health and we look at that population health management, we begin to manage this population very closely with a care coordinator. What we witnessed is when we had these diabetic, this diabetic population, they were coming to the emergency department frequently. We wanted to address that. Our opportunities were so amazing, and we changed so many lives over the last three years. It's been incredible. We The program was just fantastic. Uh, we were able to literally, and I firmly say this with all seriousness, save lives uh, because we had individuals previously who were presenting to the emergency department having no medications, not eating properly, because we're a very poor community. Uh, and and what was happening is we were looking at higher uh, incidences of hospitalization. We were looking at repeat hospitalization. What we know is after 30 days, readmission, hospitals weren't getting paid, patient couldn't afford it. And, and the whole issue was revolving around they needed someone to work with them to identify healthy foods, healthy eating, Access to medications. We we created a, a prescription medication program where we were able to get funding to purchase medications for these individuals, and we're witnessing a healthier population and managing those that diabetic community. So, what what I wanted to share with our listener today is it works. What you shared with us today, if rural hospitals are not serving this need in this population, that gentleman, that group that I've just shared with you would never have received those resources. Because by goodness, you'd have to drive two hours and they don't have transportation right. to receive the care. And I'll tell you, JJ, that's one of the things that keeps me going <clears throat> back to the why. Why do I wake up each morning? Is because of this, what I will call applied academics. How do we challenge ourselves to solve real life problems on the ground with the science, the literature, and the data? so that we can ask questions based on what we see and find solutions that add to our knowledge base. That's where research and application comes together. And I'm so excited to be privileged to do that kind of work. And we're excited as well to have you back on the program uh, today and then hopefully in the future, several yes. more episodes will as you continue. will not be the last time. It will not be the last uh, time. We I, may or may not already have one uh, I think we do. on the books and in the works. I so. think we do. <laughs> I think we do. That. We're very excited. So, Dr. Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. We've appreciated this small window of opportunity that we're given uh, to have you present to us and our listeners the importance of some of this research and how it really impacts the rural hospital and the rural community. So thank you for joining us. Always great to be with you guys. 
Well, before we close, uh, Dr. Tony, you, now you have been on this program before, so you know we like to do a fun segment uh, with our guests where we ask the question, what was your most unique rule experience or one of your most favorite memories of unique rule life? So we're going to ask you for a second time now, what is your most unique rule experience? Unique rural experience. You know, um, hmm. you got me on the spot. Here. Yeah, I'm usually not at a loss for words. <laughs> I, I think the one, you know, I may have, I'm not sure if this is the one I used last time, but um, the one of the things that gave me a lot of insight into um, what I study and why I'm so passionate about rural healthcare is um, when you visit an emergency room in, in a rural environment and you realize that, hey, they may not be open unless <laughs> you just need a call mm-hmm. from someone. Say, hey, by the way, there's a patient here. True. Uh, and you, depending on what time of the day or night it is, you get differences in, in the way um, that you get served. You may have to call a phone number. You yes. may not, but yes. the person who um, is the nursing supervisor also responsible for getting the medications out of the pharmacy. And so what, what crossed my mind was um, just how multidimensional the care was there by an individual provider. And why this was personally relevant for me was, as we said at the top of the show, I, I have, you know, I, I've studied four different disciplines in medicine pediatrics, internal medicine, adult and pediatric clinical care. Why? Because, you know, at some point I hope to uh, maybe provide service again at the bedside. Mm-hmm. And wow, amazing. Imagine how great it would be to have somebody who was trained in four disciplines could handle anything that came through the door. Well, the reality is there's not a lot of us around who can do that. And so you've got to be able to think differently about the solution set instead of overtraining like I've been. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us again today, Dr. Tony. Next time on Rural Health Rising, uh, we'll have another great discussion with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. As a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct to voicemail line at 269-447-1265 or email marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I am at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow our podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Dr. Anthony Slonum, President and Chief Executive Officer of Renown Health in Reno, Nevada. For more interviews like this and more information or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit RuralHealthRising.com.